The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of John Hersey High School or District 214. I mean, you, you can't overstate the impact, really, at least within 20th century journalism. I mean, it's considered, his Hiroshima is considered to be the most influential piece of written journalism, investigative journalism ever. And when I was talking with uh, Carl Bernstein about it, you know, because he, he gave a very lengthy blurb for the book, and a lot of it was really about, you know, Hersey's contribution to the field, not, not you know, my, my writing or anything. And, you know, Carl, you know, who was one of the the two primary Watergate reporters at the Washington Post who helped bring down the Nixon administration said, oh, you know, whenever there are these best of journalism lists, you know, John is always above Bob and me. But, you know, you have to you have to give him credit. You know, he was very influenced himself. And many, you know, the, the most important magazine writers and investigative journalists talk about, to, you know, to this day about how perfect the work it was and how it, it, di it did so many things so well. I mean, it, it got attention to a subject that nobody wanted to pay attention to. It changed minds. It humanized people in a you know who had been deeply dehumanized in, in the public sphere here, and it also managed to make readers empathetic, which is really difficult to do, especially in a mass casualty situation. Um, so, I mean, the the formula that, if you want to call it that, was that was laid out in Hersey's reporting, was so important, so influential, and also so frustratingly difficult to replicate, but its influence can't be overstated. I'm Leslie Bloom. I'm a Los Angeles-based journalist and historian. Um, I'm a New York native, but I've lived in LA for five years, and I am the author of Fallout, the Hiroshima cover-up and the reporter who revealed it to the world about John Hersey and his revelatory 1946 report on nuclear aftermath in Hiroshima for the New Yorker magazine. This is the Arc Light Podcast, illuminating the stories that make us who we are. Produced by the Academic Resource Center at John Hersey High School. Welcome. I am Bruce Janu, the librarian at John Hersey High School. Fallout, the Hiroshima cover-up, and the reporter who revealed it to the world by Leslie M. M. Bloom, is a riveting account about how John Hersey scooped the world in telling the true story of the bombing of Hiroshima. The book is a bestseller and found itself on many best-of lists of 2020. It is part thriller, part political intrigue. It's about how the government tried to shape and control a narrative that lessened the impact of the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The central figure, of course, is John Hersey who had been awarded the Pulitzer Prize in 1945 for his war novel, Bell for Adano. Fallout follows his footsteps as he travels to Hiroshima, speaks with survivors, and against all the odds, gets that story out to the world. First in the pages of The New Yorker, and then in book form that was quickly released worldwide. 
I recently spoke with author Leslie M.M. Bloom in a Zoom call almost 76 years to the day since the bombing of Hiroshima. We discussed her book, John Hersey, and his significance to history. I'm from a second, I'm second generation in a media family. Uh, you know, I, I mean, our whole world is journalism. My husband is at ABC News. He's a First Amendment attorney. I started my career working for Walter Cronkite's company and, you know, writing, working for Ted Koppel at Nightline. I mean, so the, the you know, kings of the, of the news industry and, and like Hersey, you know, very decent people who were standard bearers within the industry, but also within American society. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're in the Trump era and journalists are enemies of the people. You know, my community is under attack all of a sudden. And so I really wanted to do a project urgently do a project that reminded people about, you know, the unbelievable importance of our free press and of investigative reporting. And not just in terms of holding the powerful to account, like we're seeing, you know, something like Watergate, but in really serving the common good in the most essential way. I mean, John Hersey's reporting ultimately may have saved millions of lives by bringing to a global audience the true nature of atomic warfare and, and what, what those bombs do to human beings and what you know future wars would look like, except a thousand times worse. And so when I came across Hersey's story, it just seemed to me the purest example of journalistic integrity and you know journalistic journalistic effectiveness that you know one could possibly find. And it was the right story to tell in the right moment. See, yeah. I mean, I didn't really know that much about him. He's, he's yeah. kind of a, you know, a sphinx. And, it, and so I was learning Hersey from scratch. I only knew his, his reporting and his reputation. And so it was, it was wonderful. I mean, but my last, my last book was about Hemingway. The more I learned about Hemingway, the more I was like, Ooh, you know, the more, <laughs> you know, that guy would not have been the best hang. Um, you know, no matter how unbelievably talented he was and how much he accomplished, but Hersey was just, you know, heaven to spend time with and so instructive. And, you know, I mean, as a reporter, he makes you want to be the best version of yourself possible. And this person, he makes you want to be the best version of yourself possible. And that's not a small thing, especially in this particular, you know, cultural landscape that we're in right now, which encourages you to be the worst possible version of yourself. I mean, that you're rewarded for, for that. Um, so it was, it was, uh, really an honor to be spending my time with, with Hersey, even though we were writing, you know, I was writing about, um, the nuclear catastrophe. As part of the process of writing about Hersey and Hiroshima, Leslie traveled to the city and interviewed several people, including Koko Tenimoto Kondo, who was an infant in 1945, but also appears in John Hersey's book. Leslie recounted this trip in an August 2020 article for National Geographic entitled The Elusive Horror of Hiroshima. In the article, Leslie writes, quote, As we walked down a wide tree-lined boulevard that sunny morning, it was hard for me to comprehend that this was the site of the first nuclear attack in history, and that Miss Conda was one of the few humans on Earth to have witnessed and survived it, end quote. After speaking with Ms. Kondo, Leslie states that 
quote, I found myself irrationally looking straight up into the air, almost as if expecting to see something there too, some impossible remnant or marker. But all I saw was the blue sky above, as sun-filled as it had been on the morning of August 6th, 1945. Um, and going to Hiroshima in person for this, um, to do interviews and then just to, to physically be in the space, you know, where Hersey had been and retrace his steps. Um, the city is totally rebuilt. It's, you know, more than three, three million people in and around the city. And, you know, if you didn't know what had happened there, it just looks like, you know, any city, you know, people are going to work, they're getting their coffees, they have briefcases, their kids in school in, in school uniform, trotting, you know, up to school each morning. But the difference is that I did know what had happened there. And it was, as a result, one of the most psychically disturbing places I've ever been. I didn't sleep or eat practically the entire time I was there. It was just so unbelievably upsetting to, to be in a space where that it was one of the sites of two nuclear attacks in history and know that the city has never been properly excavated and was rebuilt essentially on a graveyard. Um, it was uh, an unforgettable experience and one that even though I've written about the experience pretty extensively and spoken about it a lot over the last year and a half, um, I still feel like I'm not really describing, describing the sensation of being there adequately. Fallout is Leslie Bloom's second book. Her first was published in 2016 and is entitled Everybody Behaves Badly. It is about Ernest Hemingway and the writing of The Sun Also Rises. Having written two books about two prominent 20th century writers, I wondered how they compared. You mentioned Ernest Hemingway. I mean, uh, that that was your, your, your uh, previous yeah, my, my, my first book, Husband. We're <laughs> <laughs> divorced uh, now. <laughs> but wait, how, how, how is Hersey different as a, oh. you know, a writer to you know, Ernest Hemingway or other, other writers? Well, I mean, actually, you know, Hersey and Hemingway have some similarities. And Hersey was not often, but he was during World War II compared to Hemingway. Um, and... You know, Hemingway is famous for his very stripped down, I mean, studiously stripped down style, which he, you know, referred to as the tip of the iceberg style, where you don't, you don't explain everything, you just hint at things, and the language is extremely spare, and the adjectives are used so sparingly that it's like a desert of adjectives. His cadence is super specific. But with Hersey, so Hersey doesn't have that kind of cadence and that repetition, you know, element to that, that Hemingway has, but one of the things that made Hiroshima so effective, his work Hiroshima so effective was that um, it was also presented in a stripped down, almost clinical writing style. And it wasn't, you know, bereft of adjectives, but it was just very plainly written. It was very, there was no stylistic flourish to it at all. It was, it almost just seemed like a very cold factual statement of you know, unbelievable terror. And so that, that's a, a big commonality. I think one very significant difference is that Hemingway is, you feel Hemingway in everything that he's ever written. The presence is there. It's like a, a cologne on it. Percy, at least in Hiroshima, the article turned book disappears in his writing, disappears from it. He's not a presence at all. 
so that that's another another master stroke but a way a way that he differs significantly from Hemingway what does what does Hiroshima tell us about Hersey the person like we don't have a whole lot on Hersey the person yeah. <laughs> you know he's he, he he was you know private to a fault right but what can we from this book in particular about Hersey the human well I mean the first words that come to my mind immediately is you know it it, it really shows his quiet tenacity and his moral compass and also the fact that here's somebody who is willing to go against the grain and you know Hersey did have predecessor reporters who had tried to report on Hiroshima and Nagasaki with varying degrees of success, but they weren't able to command, you know, the global audience or global attention or make any kind of, if they weren't changing minds, they weren't able to educate the public in the kind of way that, that he and his editors felt that they needed to be educated. And also, you know, but just because some reporters had gone in and tried to get the story first, not a lot of them did, not all of them did. In fact, a lot of the reporters, uh, a lot of his contemporaries really towed the government line and helped promote the government line, which was, you know, total misinformation. And so the fact that he not only put himself in potentially personal peril, because nobody really knew then, you know, how much radiation may still have been lingering in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, even though it had been cleared by the government, not only was he willing to put himself into peril to tell the story, he was also willing to go against the trends in his own industry, go against his colleagues and go back and revisit what, you know, was considered by many to be, quote, an old story, and also to defy, you know, the government's official narrative of what had happened and what it really meant to be in the atomic age. So it just showed that he was, he was, had a, a very strong moral compass, a very strong professional compass. And he did all of this without being a big personality. It didn't seem to me in any way to be in service of ego. In fact, he disappeared when it was trying to promote Hiroshima and basically never resurfaced. I mean, he still continued to report and he put out, you know, many books, but he, he wasn't a big self-promoting journalist at all, especially, you know, like the ones who followed him, like you know, the Mormon mailers of the world. John Hersey High School was dedicated in November of 1968. John Hersey and his wife, Barbara, came to the dedication. And from that point on, Hersey was tied to the school. He considered it one of his greatest honors to have a school named after him. He tried to come every four years or so. In 1986, he spoke at my graduation and held a Q&A with students the following day. There is a video of that Q&A. I had sent it to Leslie, and one point of that video really stood out to her. Even in that video that you sent me, where a teenager is asking him, you know, did we need the bomb to end World War II? Do you think that the United States would have been able to win World War II without the bomb? And all of a sudden, the, the body language changes totally. I mean, up to that point, he's just you know completely loose and elegant. I think that the Japanese were on the point of surrender, and one of the tragedies of that last year of war was that the signals that the Japanese were giving that they were ready to surrender were not heard as clearly as they should have been by the Allies. One unfortunate thing is the Japanese put out fears through the Russians at the, toward the end, and we were not willing to listen to what we were getting from them. 
discussion after the bomb was dropped, a little bit before, about whether it wouldn't have been better to drop it on a desert island somewhere, demonstrate to the Japanese that we had this terrible weapon, and this, then consider the, the probability that they would have surrendered. But one of the ironic paradoxes is that the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki gave us a picture of what happens that we might not have had otherwise. And I think that one reason we're safe so far still is that we had those demonstrations. This, I mean, so it, it's, you know, obviously it has to take a, a toll on you when, you know, you're being accused of propagandizing or, you know, under, or being you know, accused of being unpatriotic. And, you know, that we see that kind of language relentlessly today. I don't think, you know, Hersey was probably ever called an enemy of the people in his time, even though he had reported that, you know, the government, the U.S. is, he had essentially reported that the U.S.'s victory in World War II was a morally qualified victory. And yet, I don't think in that time he was referred to as an enemy of the people. But today that would have been, you know, quite different. And I often thought when I was writing Fallout, you know, if Hersey had brought that, brought a comparable report out today, would it have been, you know, dubbed fake news? Of course it would. The whole point, you know, their, their whole tactic is if they, if you, if you as the messenger bring information that's you know inconvenient to them or that they don't like, then it's it's they their tactic is to dismiss it, brand it as prop, what, what would have been called in the old days propaganda and now fake news, and and really just to, you know denounce the journalist. The fact that he even had the the braveness to dare to bring out a report like this in in the immediate wake of the U.S. victory over the Japanese, who, let's face it, had been you know, absolutely brutal in, you know, in their, in their military campaign for a decade throughout Asia. The fact that he had had the, the temerity to do this was pretty, pretty astonishing. John Hersey's presence in the school that bears his name is undeniable. And there have been many people throughout the years who have collected and maintained that presence through documents and photographs. Bob Hannon, a former assistant principal, maintained a relationship with Hersey over the years. His successor, John Novak, spearheaded the 50th anniversary commemoration of the school and helped preserve and organize the materials for that event. Joe Krajasek, one of the associate principals, oversaw the excavation of a time capsule that was buried when the school was created. And my predecessor, Katie Alexander, with the help of several freshman teachers, was able to obtain an original copy of the New Yorker magazine in which Hiroshima was originally published. I found that copy in the closet in my new office, but this was no ordinary copy. It had the original white paper band around the cover alerting readers to the contents in this special issue. Only a few thousand of these were ever printed. It is extremely rare. And I showed it to Leslie. I, I just found in my closet, my office, which is next door, I found, it's just sitting in the, you know, in the closet, the New Yorker from 1985. And oh, you have the edition. And the original uh, 1946 one. With, oh, my God. Uh, 
Yeah, with the thing still. Wait, on. Oh my god! Wait, wait, hold it up. Is that the? Can I see the the band, the white band? Yeah. <gasps> I've never seen the band. Oh my god, Bruce, take a picture of that and send it to me. Okay, yeah, uh, most, def most definitely. Yeah, and I don't think you know. It looks like uh, it may have been open. Oh my well, god! I I, I called every used magazine and bookstore, rare books, to, to find that white band edition. What else is in there? <laughs> Leslie has such a deep admiration for John Hersey, not just as a journalist, but as a human being. As we wrapped up our conversation, I asked Leslie what Hersey means today and what people should know about him, especially for students sitting in a school named after him. They're so lucky to becoming of age in in proximity to this extraordinary person again who epitomizes for me anyway just decency and lack of ego and these are very rare things today you know these, these kids in your school are being so encouraged to be individualistic to a fault and i think you know actually what hersey said in his q a to this school, to you know, to the to students, you know, 30 years or 40 years ago. This is we have to remember that we're basically he's saying we're in this together. And you know, he's seeing sort of like this toxic me, me, me culture of the 1980s then, which we would now call toxic individualism, you know, where it's like only, you know, people are only concerned with what affects them and promoting themselves, you know, even without achievement. I, I don't even know if somebody, you know, as as purist as him when it comes to those things, decency community, nonviolence, you know, would, would resonate today, but my God, what a counterpoint and what a crucial counterpoint these these kids have. And I, I can't encourage them enough to just spend a little bit of time getting to know this very famous person who may have saved their lives or saved the lives of their parents or grandparents. You know, Hersey might actually be the reason that many of us are still here today although he's you know, not usually credited with that. And I just think that he was rare and special in his day, but a thousand times more so now. And I just hope that people in, in your community will um, continue to embrace, embrace what, he, what he stood for. A very special thanks to our guest, Leslie Bloom, for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk with me about Hersey and her book. Fallout, the Hiroshima cover-up and the reporter who revealed it to the world, was published last fall and was recently released in paperback. More information about Leslie Bloom can be found on her website, lesliemmbloom.com, and that's Bloom, spelled B-L-U-M-E. A link for it can be found in the podcast description for this episode. I have purchased several more copies of her book, and they are available in the ARC. It is well worth a read. Come on down and check it out. 
In our display case outside of the Ark, you can view that original New Yorker magazine, plus a newspaper from that fateful day in 1945. Plus, we have highlighted several other books in our collection, too, that deal with that event in our history. This episode was written and produced by me, Bruce Janu. More information about the podcast can be found at herseyark.org. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like what you've heard so far, write a review in iTunes and share it with your friends and family. If you are interested in sponsoring this podcast, reach out to me at bruce.janu at d214.org. Until next time, thank you for listening.